is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Gretchen Peters over Zoom video. Gretchen Peters is obviously a legend in the songwriting community, Grammy-nominated, CMA award winner. Gretchen's even in the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, along with Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash and obviously other legendary songwriters. It was really amazing to have the chance to talk to Gretchen about her story. She was born in New York, lived there till about 13, moved to Boulder, Colorado. She started playing music or guitar, at least, at seven. At a day camp, she learned how to play guitar. Always was writing, though, poetry. She wrote a play at five. But it wasn't until her teens when it clicked that she could take these poems and in these words she was writing and, and put them into a song. She talks about that moment, her trips back and forth from Boulder to Nashville, eventually landing a publishing deal in Nashville. She talked about having her first couple cuts with some really big artists, having a number one single as her very, very first cut. And we also talk a lot about the new album she put out, which is a live album. It's called The Show, Live from the UK. And we hear about how that record was put together. You can watch the interview with Gretchen Peters on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Gretchen Peters. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm Adam. I appreciate you doing this. Um, and this is a podcast about you and your journey in this music industry. And we'll talk about uh, the, the show, the live album you put out. Great. That cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Awesome. So first off, talk to me. Uh, where were you born and raised? I was born, I, I was born in Bronxville, New York, only because the hospital was there, but I was raised in Pelham, New York, which is just a suburb. Is it close? Like, I, I'm so bad with, with. Right outside of New York City. Okay. You know, it's a, it was a little <laughs> sleepy little suburb, but it was a, definitely a bedroom, you know, suburb of, of New York because my dad was in the TV news industry. So he needed to be close to New York. And yeah. I, I saw that he's pretty, I mean, he was a famous uh, journalist. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 Um, and I was, I, I never know how to totally answer that question. Cause I moved to Colorado when I was just turning 13. And I feel like the second half of my childhood really was in Boulder, Colorado. So I'm sort of half and half mm -hmm. two very different places. Oh, I would imagine, but yeah. but being in in New York up until what you're probably going into high school or close to that at that point, junior, right? Junior high, yeah. yeah. Yes. So you um, were living there up until then, but were you into music? I, from, I think I read that you started writing songs at like five or something crazy early. Well, I mean, I, the, as much I was doing everything at five. I was making. I was writing. I wrote a school play. I was writing poems. I was just sort of experimenting with with every form of, you know, written communication and as well as other things in the arts. I was just always 
fascinated with the arts, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I was doing music. My parents sent me to a camp when I was a day camp when I was, I think, seven. And it was I, I, I call it nerd camp because they did like all the stuff except for the athletics, you know, oh, like, sure. It was, it was like arts and, you know, all kinds of stuff that I was interested in. And at that camp, I learned how to play guitar. So that kind of sent me on this path of, and it was it was during the 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 folk great folk music you know movement of the late '60s, and I had an older sister who was really into Bob Dylan, and and so you know playing the guitar was just like the coolest thing you could do. And I actually taught my older sister how to play after I came home from camp and and knew a few chords. So I was I was latched on to music really early, but it wasn't totally obvious to me anyway that that was going to be my thing because I was into a lot of other kinds of things like writing and dancing and painting and a lot of just anything artistic. Artistic, yeah, it sounds like uh, yeah. that was a big but to learn guitar at 7 at this at this day camp, that's pretty cool. I always say, you know, I learned at 7 and I reached kind of my proficiency level at about 15 and I've pretty much stayed there for the the rest of the time but you know i always viewed the guitar as just like a vehicle for songs mm -hmm. and it, i never i wanted to become competent and be able to accompany myself but i never had any desire to be a great guitar player just i just wanted to be you know competent and be able to deliver a song that was the main thing to me yeah, I've, I've spoke to a lot of songwriters that have that similar idea. Uh, it's where it's like, I never aspired to be like the shredding guitar player. It was, right. I just used it as a vehicle to, to express what I was, you know, writing and trying to get the, the basis of the song out instead right. of learning how to rip some solo or, you know, figure out that side of, of the guitar. The scariest thing somebody could say to me is, take it. You know, <laughs> play a solo <laughs> that's not me um, uh -huh. but yeah I mean it's just I think all the things that I learned in terms of like performing music singing too is the same thing I really wanted to sing because I wanted to deliver a song but it was always centered around a song mm -hmm. all of the everything that I learned uh, even later in later years learning uh, things about producing records um all of that, you know, serve the serve the song. It's it's really what it all always boils down to for me. Mm -hmm. Were you like, I mean, at seven when you learn how to play the guitar, and it sounds like you're always kind of involved in writing at some capacity, writing plays at five. I mean, I have a six year old. I can't imagine him being like, "Here's this play that I wrote." Um, <laughs> it wasn't but, it wasn't an amazing play. I have to say, it was pretty simplistic, but you know. But still, I mean. Um, <laughs> To, to, to be able to do these things and, and already kind of expressing yourself in that way, did you start putting songs together fairly quickly or did you already have kind of ideas and melodies in your head that you were able to get out now that you have this this guitar and can kind of hear the notes? You know, it, it's funny. I, I really didn't. I was writing poetry and all kinds of other things concurrently with learning the guitar and learning you know, music, but I, I don't know why. I'm really glad it worked out this way, you know, retrospectively, but I was so focused on learning other people's songs, learning how to play like every Bob Dylan song I could mm -hmm. find and every 
uh, I was obviously, you know, my early influence was folk music. So, you know, every folk song that I could find um, that I didn't almost put two and two together that I could write those songs. And I think it's actually a great thing that it worked out that way because what happened is I learned the DNA of songs. You know, I, lear I, I learned through kind of osmosis you know, what a verse is, what a chorus is, how a song is put together, how a great song is put together. And I learned that by learning everyone else's songs, um, mm -hmm. even to the point of, I really think, you know, writing out the lyrics, because back in the day, we didn't have, you know, computers or printers or online, you know, we couldn't go online and find out the lyrics. So, so like lifting the needle up on the record player and writing the lyrics down to transcribe them so that I could have a sheet of paper with and, and sing it, you know, mm -hmm. even that exercise made me learn how a song was put together. So it wasn't until I was much older, like in my teens that I thought, Oh, wait a minute, I, I could try writing these things too, because I was very, you know, I wrote a lot, I wrote short stories and poetry and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But it took me a long time to put those two things together. And I think in the end, it was it was a good thing because I learned so much about how songs are built. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. What was that like? Did you, having a, uh, your father in journalism and writing, and it, was that something that you would you know show to him and say, "Hey, what do you you know what do you think of this?" Or is it just because was it two totally different worlds of of writing? It, it felt like totally different worlds. I mean, for one thing, he was uh, he was not a huge fan of any music that was made after say 1950. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he wasn't a big Bob Dylan fan. I'll say that. <laughs> so it was kind of, although, you know, my parents music that was playing in the background at cocktail parties and, um, just around the house definitely seeped into my consciousness, the mm -hmm. older, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Django Reinhardt and things like that. But, um, he, he did, we, we, we are very, we were, he has passed on, so, mm -hmm. but we are very different kinds of writers. Um, I think in terms of the influence that I got from him, probably the biggest thing was just watching his discipline, just mm -hmm. his, um, he would go into his, he had, a, he worked from home a lot of the time, uh, and he would go into his office and I would hear the typewriter going from, you know, eight o'clock in the morning until he'd take a little break for lunch and go back and, you know, all day long, the typewriter going. And I knew that's what it took to be a writer. And I think if, if there's any one thing that I really got from him, it was the sense that it's actually a job. It's not some sort of, you know, pie in the sky kind of, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be a writer? You know, that's, it was a right. lot of work. Lot yeah. Of work. And I feel like it, that's become kind of like this it's always been kind of a jaded thing from the outside. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like, especially now with like social media and TikTok and all these things happening, or I have a 14 year old son that is now realizing the amount of work it takes to really have these channels and these things do something. I mean, it's not just like one day you decide, oh, I'm going to be a YouTube star and I'm going to put a video up and then everyone's going to come to my channel and it's going to be life is good. And 90% of the day, I'm just hanging out, spending money, and then I take an hour to shoot this video. You know what I mean? It's There's so much, so much is happening all behind the scenes, but it's the, the you know, the behind the curtain that nobody really sees. They just see the song, or they just see the video, or they just see this. 
And that's really cool that you're able to kind of see that firsthand. Yeah, and I think the I think the the um, the lesson in the in there for me was that um, he you know he did have uh, career peaks. He he won Emmys and mm-hmm. other awards and and um, but he he did what he did because it really it was who he was. I mean mm-hmm. he did he did it was its own reward, and I think that that's really a recipe for for contentment and happiness in a career if you're doing it for accolades you may or may not get them Um, yeah but if you're doing it for that reason you're always wanting that whereas the rewards come if you're doing it because you love it the rewards come naturally just from doing it whether Mm -hmm. or not you know it's always lovely when somebody pays attention and says hey good work you know but boy as a motivation that's a pretty um, flimsy one Sure. And I'm, and I'm just speaking to the, just the generations I'm seeing and, and stuff that's kind of happening within what's going on now, as far as with when, it, when I was growing up, selling out was the worst thing you could do. Right. You know, if you're in a band and you sold the like Green Day selling out to a major label was like, I still remember that being like such a big deal. Like, oh, my yes. gosh, they signed to a major label. And it's like, well, yeah, they did. They but they did the work to get there. Um, but nowadays, it's like all I want is this video just to go nuts. <laughs> you know, it's like it's such an opposite it's uh, funny. mindset. We've, we have come full circle for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I kind of came from that that mentality too, and and you know, it's kind of crazy that we hold artists to this completely different standard than say a doctor or right you know, so i mean somebody who does something else it's 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 a little i mean we want our artists to be absolutely pure and you know they're of course they're not because they're people mm-hmm. they're humans yeah i completely agree with you so you end up moving to boulder you said at 13 was that a difficult move going it from was, new york yeah it was it was it was i was not a happy kid um my parents had gotten divorced and my ultimately it was the best thing that could have happened my mother uh all the other kids i'm the youngest so all the other kids were gone married or in college or whatever and my mother and i moved to boulder um i think she needed to get out of the new york suburbs because being a divorced woman in 1970 in the suburbs of new york was not great Mm -hmm. um is she from New York or no? She was, she, both my parents were from the Chicago area originally, oh, okay. but, but had lived in New York for quite a long time. Um, and she also, I think, wanted to find a place where uh, I could go to college, um, uh, where she could live less expensively, yeah. all, all of those things. Sure. And, you know, you'd think on paper I would have loved it, but I hated, you know, any kid in eighth grade is not going to be happy to be leaving their friends and leaving of course yeah you know place that they know so i was not um not a happy kid for a couple of years um ultimately it was such a great place for me musically because there was a whole music scene that was really lively and and uh inspiring and i could go out and my my mom god bless her took me out to see bands when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old. She, any band I wanted to see, she'd take That's me. That's cool. Um, she took me to a bar on Christmas Eve, which I think a lot of people would say is bad parenting. But for me, it was like, you know, that was what I wanted. I wanted to see these bands play. But there were a couple of years when I first moved there 
when I just was really unhappy and even dropped out of school for a little while. And I, I am not uh, exaggerating, I think, to say that music saved me during those couple of years. And that was probably when I did the most kind of woodshedding and um, really digging into guitar and just, uh, it just saved my life. I spent hours with that guitar in my room. And I, I think if that whole, you know, that whole 10,000 hour theory is true, a lot of those hours were between the ages of like 13 and 15 mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And were you, so you were writing out songs at that point, like, you know, just kind of getting... I was still writing poetry and, and, oh. and, and things. I wasn't writing songs, but I was, you know, diving into all kinds of, you know, Joni Mitchell at that point, Joni Mitchell and Leonard Cohen and, and mm -hmm. Jackson Brown and Paul Simon and learning all these songs, learning more chords, learning, just learning how to use music as a really, when I look back on it, as a cathartic device, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it was my way of, channeling all my misery um i mean you know at 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 best a 14 year old is a pretty miserable you know person right <laughs> but i have a 14 year old at, tell me about it <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a lot of drama going on uh, oh yeah on a good day and for me that a lot was, of hormones yeah for <laughs> me, that, that was a really tumultuous time so i was pouring all i was pouring my heart into into my guitar basically. Um, but I still wasn't, I wasn't writing, I was writing a lot of poetry and a lot of other things, but not, not songs yet. It was still, um, a couple of years later that I had this sort of epiphany that, Oh, you know, I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but I, I always say that I think one of the reasons is, you know, some of the earliest music I heard in my life was the Beatles and the mm -hmm. Beatles songs seemed so elemental to me that they must have always been there you know they were like nobody wrote those right just around you know sure and it's like I happy birthday <laughs> yeah exactly and i don't think it really dawned on me that there were two guys like working really hard hashing it out figuring out you know how, how to make those songs into what they are um in a room somewhere for a long long time and uh still at 14 15 i was I was I was interested in other people's songs and, mm -hmm. and singing them and playing them. You said you had like an epiphany, epiphany at one point. Like, what, do you remember that kind of click happening and being like, "Whoa, okay." I think it was one of these bands that I went to see in Boulder. You know that I uh, that I followed around. You know, whenever they played and and they started. You know, it was a hard thing to do if you were playing in bars back then to slip in an original song because most people didn't want to hear that, you know? Mm, um, sure. Yeah. You're, you're just there as the cover. You're, um, you're yeah. Entertainment breathing jukebox. Basically. Sure. Um, <laughs> breathing. I like that. But, but I think it was when I saw one of these bands and they started slipping in their own songs into their set list that it dawned on me. Oh, that's a thing I could do. Cause the two things I love the most are music and writing. And mm -hmm. maybe I could put them together. And so that's when I really kind of started dabbling in songwriting. And, you know, my first attempts were really just imitation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way you learn, I think. Um, uh, they weren't great, but they were, I was sort of just imitating what I loved um, and trying to 
to, to copy in a way, copy what I loved. Um, mm -hmm. but at some point I started to realize, oh, this is harder than, <laughs> this is harder than it looks, you know, and you really have to dig in. And I, I, I remember really clearly writing my first, what I would consider a uh, mature song when I was 19 years old, I had come home from seeing Dolly Parton for the first time in Denver. She was doing her big crossover uh, tour. You know, she'd put a, a record out and she was playing little rock clubs instead of mm -hmm. playing the usual country circuit. Sure. And I went all by myself because I couldn't find anybody to go with me because country music was not cool in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, is that right? Not, not cool. Um, country rock was cool, but you know, not, real yeah. country music was. So I went by myself and I, her performance and I just, it tore me open. It was so real and her songs were so honest. And I know, I mean, I remember the feeling I had driving home, just like, oh my God, that's how you do it. And I went home that night and wrote what I would consider my first real song mm -hmm. oh, oh wow and was that something that uh do you still know you remember the song at all i do i mean i'm not gonna play it right but i was just curious but, yeah. yeah but it's got it's not it's not it's got some depth i mean uh -huh. it's not bad it's 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 very young um mm -hmm. sounding but it's um but it's real and i think the thing is it it came from really came from a deeper place inside of me than all the things that I'd been sort of trying to write, which just were imitations of other people's work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think I got a major piece of the puzzle that night, which was you have to really dig down inside of yourself and bring out whatever it is that you've got in there um, in order to write something original. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what it takes. And then having that song, once, once you get home and, and having that moment, was it, it must've been kind of like a validating thing where you, you finish and you're like, wow, this is actually something, you know, good. Like, I don't know. Were you like, this is good. Like, I, I really want to continue this. Was that the moment that you said, thought where, you know, I could probably pursue this or was it still just something like, you know, that was cool that I did that. Hopefully I'll do it again. Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've never been good at knowing anything in terms of um, this is good or I did this well. I mean, I, 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 I just have never been good at that. It took external things to happening to, you know, reinforcing me to say, oh, somebody responded to that. That must mm -hmm. mean that I've hit a nerve, you know? Um, yeah, I, I've, I've just never, I mean, to this day I could, I could write a song and the most I have about it even what I would consider the best songs I've written, the most I've ever had is an inkling that mm. maybe, maybe they were okay, you know? So I'm just not, I'm not that person who goes, I just wrote a hit, you know? <laughs> I, not me. Sure. Um, <laughs> but I got feedback for this song. I got feedback when I would go out and play it, you know, because at that point I was playing in little bars around town and, and I, people paid attention when I played it and that I, I could feel, mm -hmm. you know? So I think that was what I was responding to was just, Oh, well, people seem to 
sort of listen to that, I think I should do more of that, you know, because I seem to be making a connection. It's really ultimately all about, are you connecting? Mm -hmm. You know, are you connecting with people? And you can see, you can definitely tell that instantly when you're playing live, you know, you, it's either happening or it's not. Right, right. Are people going back to the bar or the bathroom right. or out to smoke bar, a cigarette or exactly. are they in tune and, with what you're doing? And in a bar, it's, it's super, you know, if you can connect with people and make them shut up in a bar, you're really doing something. <laughs> sure. you know, I'm, I'm so glad I had that 10 years of, of training playing in the bars because it, uh, it both, you know, gives you a nice hard suit of armor. In, you know, psychically in a way, because you see everything and you put up with everything, but it also makes you kind of, it, it gives you a great training in how to pace a set and what people will, you know, how to command, how to walk on a stage and, and have people stop what they're doing. I mean, all of that, there's a certain amount of, I always think of it like captaining a ship, right? You know, mm -hmm. if, if somebody's got to be the captain, and if people sense that there is no captain, somebody's going to step up and it's, right. and, and it better be you if you're on the stage, you know, you, you better be the one who's saying, okay, this is how it's going to go. And you can do that in the most benevolent way and the most charming and benevolent way, but you have to be in control of, of what's going on. So, um, and you know, yeah, that those 10 years playing in bars was very educational for mm -hmm. me that way. Were you going to, to college at 19? To... That's my that's my lab. He thinks somebody's coming in to kill me. Oh, okay. <laughs> All good. The beauty of, like I said, the, the, there's some there's something cool about the, the, I, that I think is kind of cool that came from this pandemic. I mean, as terrible as the pandemic is, but like you're sitting in your house and I just think that's rad that we, we can we can talk it this is. way. <laughs> the behind again, back to the behind the curtain look. Um, so were you, you said you, you're, you know, when you moved to Colorado, your mom was thinking, okay, you know, change of pace, uh, financially a little bit easier than New York and yeah. you'd be able to go to college there was, did you attend college or was it something that I you were did. into I, music and you didn't care? I'm a dropout. Um, oh. I went to college, uh, I went to CU Boulder mm -hmm. for, I don't know, pro probably probably a year and a half. It was like, it was 20 years and I was still having those, oh, I forgot to take my final exam dreams. You know, I mean, I, cause I just sort of dropped out. But what happened was I was at the same time playing in bars at night and that was a heck of a lot more fun and really what I was interested in. And I, I tried to channel my, my music, you know, inclinations into uh, I switched my majors to be a music major and of course you know they had no idea what to do with me I mean it wasn't an opera singer clearly so mm -hmm. you know um so it did, music school wasn't a great fit I got some great education out of it while I while I was there but it just wasn't a great fit what I wanted I knew what I wanted to do and I told my parents um that I would go I would give it a year and if I didn't make it, which just cracks me up when I think about that, in a year I would go back to school. And my, I remember my father saying to me, you're not going back. It's That's not happening. I mean. Oh, uh, you said, okay, you, here, let me drop out for this year. 
Yeah. I'm going to give it all go into the music thing. And then if it comes around next year and I haven't landed, was there like a, a, a target that you had to get to, or it was just kind of a generic, if I haven't made it, I'm going to, yeah. I'm not even sure if I knew what making it even meant. Right. Uh, I, but I just, uh, I, I knew that there were things out, you know, I didn't, I don't think I even knew what, for instance, what a publishing deal was. I think I knew, you know, a record deal. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. not sure. I, I look back on that, that 19 year old person. And I think, who was that? I don't even know. Um, but uh, I think I just had a sort of generic idea of making it. And mm -hmm. um, I, 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 although I listened to not that long ago, I was sort of archiving some things and I listened to like, what well, I think it may have been the very first radio interview I ever did. Um, oh, that's cool. And I was really struck by one thing, and that was I, the, the interviewer asked me uh, what my goals were, you know, what I, what I wanted to be or achieve in the music industry. And I said, I just want to make a living as a musician. And I thought that was kind of great uh, mm -hmm. for a 19, 20 year old to, you know, I, I mean, I think it wasn't that I was keeping my expectations low. It was that I saw that as the bar for, you know, being a professional was really important to me. Like if somebody would pay me to do this, that must mean I've, le I've at least I'm at a certain level of proficiency. And that was, that was what, I, that was my answer to him. So, so apparently I had that in my mind, you know, even, even then was just, you know, I just want to be a musician who's a professional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it wasn't, hey, I want to have a million dollar record deal and I want to tour. It's just, I want to do this for a living as long as I can pay my bills and eat and live life. That's I mean, all I, I care I, about. I really think I would have been happy if I could have gone on the road with somebody as a backup singer. Uh -huh. um, at least for a while. I, it was about being a part of it. Mm -hmm. It was just about being a part of all of it because it seemed like this magical world to me and mm -hmm. you know it still does i mean there's just this aspect i've written so many songs about the carnivals and circuses and stuff throughout my writing career and it's because we are circus people really that's what we are we are like a tribe um other people are the people on the on the that aren't in the music business or aren't in performers really is mm -hmm. more specifically um don't know what what this life is like and there, there's just something very um circus-like about it both in the bad ways and the good ways and i think i knew that and i sensed that and i really really wanted to be a part of that i like that i feel like i'm i can relate to you a lot on that that front because I, I just all I cared about ever was just being involved in the music industry in some capacity and having even if I could afford like a studio apartment and food I, and, and like gas for my car. That's all I cared about. And I, I wasn't a songwriter, but I, I love music so much that I went through like the radio. I did radio for 17 years and I took any job and every job just to be there and, you know, have some sort of you know, be, and then, you know, climb up the ladder, but like, it was just to be there and be around it was something that I thought was so cool. I think those of us that felt that way, um, are the ones that have 
stuck with it because you have to, I mean, years ago when someone asked me, um, you know, when I had been in Nashville and I'd had my first, you know, sort of success, someone asked me, you know, what would you say to aspiring songwriters? And I'm that's my, my last question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, my answer may. I'm sure. Changed. Yeah, I was going to say. Hopefully, it'll change. My answer. That. Well, I probably have a longer answer now. But back I love then, it. I remember saying, you know, if you can possibly talk yourself out of it, then it's not for you. Mm-hmm. If you if you can't talk yourself out of it, then at least you're going to um, love the climb you know, right. where, where, no, wherever it takes you. Um, but if, yeah, yeah. And I, I still think, you know, any, anything, any career that's more than, you know, a nine to five job, you kind of have to have that attitude. Like I want to do this no matter what. Right. It's a fighter. It's like fight or flight for it. You're either going as somebody told me, um, in one of these interviews, I asked the same, you know, that question. And they said, if you have a backup, they said, if you have something to fall back on, you will, will. which I thought that was so powerful. It's like, yeah, if there's, if you know that there's a net, then you maybe won't put all of it into it because if it doesn't work out, at least I've got this behind me. Yeah. and And you think about this, you know, I think about what I did, you know, I, I had a two year old child, packed up a U-Haul, moved to Nashville, lived on a credit card for a while on the promise of a publishing deal, which I ended up getting, but you know, who, who knows what could have happened. I mean, it was all kind of, I'm sure that my family was going, does she know what she's doing? You know? (laughs) Right. But that's it. You know, that's, it's just having the drive in the, in the, it's almost like a delusional thought, but not if that makes sense. It's delusional until you make it come true. Right, right. Then it's not a delusion. It's like if you think about, yeah, if you think about thinking, telling yourself, and I think it's interesting because a lot of artists that have made it or uh, you know, you've bigger, you know, the biggest artists in the world, you'll hear them say like, if I'm my, if my kid wanted to do this, I'd tell them not. Like I, that's they shouldn't or wouldn't. Like I don't want them to pursue this just because they know how hard it is to get there. Yeah. But you know that's a dicey business to telling your kid what to do and what. That not is to for do. sure. I mean, I would never say that to my kids, but I've just heard people say that, like, "Hey, I'm not really stoked that my son wants to be an actor, and yeah. I'm an, you know what I mean, or whatever it may be." Yeah. Yeah. But um, so you you ended up moving to Nashville, obviously. So when did that take place? Like, how long were you in Boulder? And then you get to Nashville. There, you set up. You, you had promise of a publishing deal. Like, what happened to get you to that? Like, what was the next step before you decided to move to Nashville? I I had made I think two trips to Nashville, just ex, sort of exploratory. You know, go pound the pavement, knock on doors, try to get meetings with publishers, producers, record labels, anybody. Um, I had. I had a friend who was a former duet duet partner of mine that we used to play bars in Boulder, and he he had moved to Nashville and um, and had a hit, written a hit. Um, he let me come and sleep on his couch for a week, and I did that a couple times, and you know set up a couple of meetings here and there, and um, I just had enough encouragement 
Um, my husband at the time was also sort of, you know, sending my, at the time it was cassette tapes, you know, Mm -hmm. he he was, you know, sending cassette tapes out and I, we just, we got enough encouragement that it seemed like, and I, I did have one publisher who ended up being my publisher, my first publisher. He did say, uh, look, you really kind of have to be here. Are, are you willing to move? And, and I said, yes. And he said, it, I'll tell you what, if you move here, I'll give you a publishing deal. And oh, wow. True to his word, he did. I was here, I uh, got here to Nashville in late uh, 1987. And I think on January 1st, 1988, I had a publishing deal. Wow. And that's, uh, that's kind of amazing. I, I mean, I didn't know at the time that it can take a lot longer than that, but um, but I had made those preliminary trips and I, you know, I was ready. I was really ready to dive in. And of course, the first time I got a, an actual check, you know, they, 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 they give you an advance, not very much of an advance, but they, you know, they gave me an advance monthly to write songs. And the first time I, I got that check, I thought, oh my God, I have to, I really have to do this. I better do this. I better do, you know. Because if real. you don't, right, it's, then you have to pay them back. Is it kind I mean, of like? Well, it, no, it wasn't. Even, you don't. I mean, they they they're betting on you essentially. You sure. Really, but it's just that it was so real. All of a sudden, it was so mm-hmm. you know, wow. Somebody's believes in me enough to pay me to write songs. I got to knuckle down. Yeah, now I have to deliver. And I think also coming here. I always say it was like grad school. It was like um, the 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 really sort of fine points of songwriting weren't really apparent to me until I was here and I was soaking it up and I would go to the Bluebird Cafe and I would hear Don Schlitz sing this song, The Gambler, which I had heard eight million times on the radio and realized that I had never really listened to it until I heard Don sing it. And then I heard every single word, every single turn of phrase, every rhyme. I mean, you know, there's just something about like, I was looking at everything with a, with a magnifying glass once I got here because everybody is so focused on songs. Mm-hmm. And so it was a, it was a, an incredible education. And those first couple of years, I was just soaking up, you know, all of that and and listening listening to songwriters sing their songs was a real eye opener for me i I, it made me listen in a different way i was curious about that so you move in i'm not i've heard a lot of i kind of know what a publishing deal is in in a sense but i would love to hear like from you so you get to nashville you get a publishing deal does that mean they're not signing you on as an artist. So no. they're not signing you on as Gretchen Peters, the, the artist who we're going to help put a record out. We just, and we think what you are writing is good. Yes. And we want you to go write with other people and pitch other songs. Like, I, I guess, can you break that down for me a little bit? Just so yes. I understand. It, it is, it is, it is definitely about the songs. It is a publishing deal is, is an act of faith on their part saying, you know, we believe that you're going to write some great songs that will uh, will be able to get cut by artists. Other artists. And um, now when I got here, about, ha- you know, and I knocked on all those doors, about half of the people told me, 
you should probably focus on getting a publishing deal. And the other half said, you should probably focus on getting a record deal and, you know, don't, that's not worry about the songwriting, you know? So I had this very mixed message kind of. Right. And how do you make that decision? Like, are you like, do I, at that point, it's kind of like, do I want to be pursue a career as being the artist and being the face and focal point or do I want to be more? Because you're almost like if you're the songwriter. You're almost kind of more behind the scenes. If you're writing a song and then handing it to, you know, whoever, then they're going to now be the the brand or the the, the face of the, the face of the song, right? Yeah, and the thing for me was that I had grown up on these singer songwriters, like I mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. Mitchell, Paul Simon. Leonard Cohen, they, and I, in my mind, I was like, well, what's the difference? Right. They write, they perform, they make records. And I wanted to do all of that. I didn't, I didn't even separate any of that in my mind. This whole idea that I would write songs for somebody was completely new to me. Um, And actually, once I started trying to do that, I wasn't any good at it. I wasn't, you know, uh, I remember at the time, like the Judds were really happening brand mm-hmm. new and really, you know, and I remember thinking I, I, I could write a song for the Judds. And I remember just, and what I did was write these songs that sounded like the Judds, but they weren't coming from that place. You know, they weren't, I mean, they just, they were just unremarkable and nobody cared. And then every once in a while I would write something that really came from inside of me and that would be the one that my publisher would sort of perk up and say, do more of that, mm-hmm. you know? And like I started, being yourself, like in writing for you, just whatever you would want to put out yeah. instead of like targeting And I a started realizing artist. that that was what they meant by finding your voice as a writer. But also it, it kind of lined up with my own um, ambitions to make my own records. It just, it, it just seemed that I did better. Um, I, I had more success in every sense of the word, just following my own nose as an artist. Um, and those songs that I wrote that really came from that place inside of me, those ended up being recorded by other artists, which much mm-hmm. to my surprise. I mean, I, I kept, you know, I remember many times thinking, I can't believe anybody else identified with that song and wanted to sing it, but um, those were the ones. So I slowly, you know, over a few years started to realize um, that whatever talent I had lay in being myself, not, uh, I was not somebody who was going to be able to sit in a room and, and co-writing, I was terrible at co-writing. I'm I'm a, I'm a hopeless, bad co-writer. I'm very slow. Although you've written some co-wrote, some huge songs. <laughs> I, have, I have a couple of co-writing relationships, which I treasure. But, you know, anybody that's co-written with me will tell you that, oh, yeah, well, she sits in the room and stares a lot and not a lot happens. And I'm just very slow. And it's like there's with co-writing, there's this expectation that you're going to get a song like at the end of the day, at the end mm-hmm. of the session. It's like, that's not me. Um, but so I just, I just sort of over the, uh, over time I began to realize, you know, um, whatever talents I have lie in mining that vein that is inside of me. And, and for some reason 
other artists respond to those songs too and they want to <laughs> record them and they're definitely the songs that i would want to record should i get a record deal and when i did of course i, I made a whole album of those right songs and, you know um but that just you know it, it wasn't without a lot of help and guidance and mentorship from uh my first publisher who was wonderful who did say you know what stop trying to you know write things that sound like what you're hearing down the street just do what you do because that's what i'm really interested in mm -hmm. and that was that was i just that was so invaluable to me mm -hmm. for sure i mean what, do you remember having the first like or what the first kind of big like i made kind of big cut that you got or a big song that was like wow like this changed it all or this really got the ball going for me there were two the okay. first one i co-wrote with my then husband and I, I give him credit because it was really his idea, but it was, it was one of the first cuts that I ever had. And it was a number one song. It was a song called the chill of an early fall by George mm -hmm. Strait. Um, and while that was, that definitely raised my profile around Nashville and it was great. It was exciting to have a number one song. It wasn't, it wasn't a song that I'd written by myself and it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't until songs like let that pony run mm -hmm. and independence day came out that people, that, that I felt like I had a, you know, I had written these songs that you could sort of tell were mine. Right. I guess. Um, and that that was a turning point. That was a point when when other artists, especially female artists, for the most part, started coming to me for, you know, do you have I'm I'm making a record. Do you have any songs? You know, that, oh, wow. that was a big turning point. And mm -hmm. we were so lucky. I say we because there were a number of um, my contemporaries in the in the 90s who were the beneficiaries of some of the greatest female artists in country music, you know, Trisha Yearwood and Faith Hill and Mar Martina McBride mm -hmm. and Pam Tillis and Patty Night Twain. Yeah. And Matresa Berg and I were, were especially, she's a dear friend of mine and we were especially, um, I guess we were competitors back then, but we're best friends. So, Oh, that's cool. Um, but you know, we were, we were, we talk about it all the time, how lucky we were that, we had these incredible voices for that were vehicles for our songs mm -hmm. or our songs were vehicles for those voices. I don't know whichever way you want to look at it, but um, we were very, very lucky to be in the right place at the right time with those songs. Yeah. I was going to say not only that, but to have the skill set and have the songs that, that really, that worked. I mean, and then to have the awards that you've won and, you know, the Grammy nominations to the, you're in the in the country rock and roll hall or the country music hall of fame aren't you i mean like that's the nashville songwriters hall. or it's not Nashville. so sorry which i'm very very proud of because but that's still i mean wow yeah yeah it was a, a otherworldly experience I, I still pinch myself at that because all my heroes are in there you know mickey newberry bob dylan johnny cash <laughs> you know um, yeah, the greats Carolina of the Howard. greats. Yeah, uh, that's and to be a part of that and to be a name amongst those names it has to be just such a great, great feeling. It's it's a, it's an amazing feeling, and it it's it, I I remember the night 
I was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I, I said in my acceptance speech that um, it's really hard to believe that you can sit on your bed in your bedroom with a guitar and just hold the guitar and make something up mm -hmm. and end up there. I mean, how does that even happen? Because you're so, I mean, for me, I'm so alone when I, by choice, when I write a song, I, I'm typically I'm by myself and it's a very, um, solitary profession. And then it's like I, that night I, I was like, it's like somebody opened a door and I walked out into a room with thousands of people in it and they were all saying, yeah, you're one of us, you know, here, you know, here, here, you know, you're in the hall of fame. And it was just like, how did that even, how did that happen? Um, it's a, it's a crazy magical world that, yeah. yeah. I mean, to, yeah, to sit, that's beautifully put where you, you sit and you're in your room and you write a song, just you or you on a guitar, whatever it is. And the amount of people that song affects, not even knowing, just something that you came up with sitting there. And then it just, it, it, yeah, in that process, like when you're done writing and it's not like you can fast forward and see all these people are going to love this. This is going to be such a big song. Oh, and then no. that's, I'm going to make it into the you know, the songwriter hall of fame and all these, you know, like it's just something that had happened and that however long it took you to put pen it out and, and write it. And then it just changed it. Just the amount of people affected by the one song. It's crazy. It, it is. And I think that's why you can't, you can't um, set yourself a goal of, I mean, at least I can't, um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to write a hit or I'm going to write a song that's really going to, change people and I, you, you, you have to start with yourself. Mm -hmm. You just have to start with yourself and write something. I always say, you know, if I can make myself cry while I'm sitting there on that bed playing my guitar, then I know I've got something because I've, you know, you, your first member of your audience, I guess, is you really. Mm -hmm. And then if you can affect yourself emotionally, you, you're probably going to have the same effect on other people. Yeah, so I completely agree with you. Um, so I want to just move forward to your your the newest thing that you've just done because I mean, obviously, we spent a lot of time on how you built this amazing, incredible career, and you just did uh, the show, which was live from the UK, and you had all was all female or orchestra or like tell me about the the, the thought behind the this performance and then the record and and how it all kind of came together. Well, I've been performing with my my band has been basically the same over in the uk since 2015. Um, my husband barry walsh plays piano and accordion mm -hmm. and a bass player connor mccrainer and guitar player colin mclean and so it's the four of us normally and we had the opportunity to um do a tour with them and a an all-female string quartet from scotland who i had, I had played with at a festival in Scotland uh, a couple of years before. Um, and that was just a dream come true because to play with strings, I mean, I've done it live a few times before this and it's just like, I mean, it's like surfing. It's just like they, it's like there's this wave and you're just riding it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it's not even under your control anymore. It's it's um, it's an incredible feeling, and I, so I really wanted to do it. And once we got the tour set up, we thought, you know, we we have to document this. We have to record it, and maybe we'll get lucky, and we'll we'll have a, a live album. Maybe we won't, but this is our chance, you know. Mm-hmm. So we we had a, a live crew coming out for three of the, I think, nine tour dates that we did um, in, in three, it was a challenge because in three different rooms, three different venues that sounded very different, all sounded beautiful, but all in their own way. And they had to contend with, you know, three different sets of circumstances acoustically. Right. Um, and eight musicians, you know, it's, it's, not a, it's not an insignificant thing to, to record all that live. Um, and we did it. We pulled it off. We, we we managed to hit the tour when we were really kind of very comfortable and having kind of at a peak. And we weren't too tired. It wasn't at the end, you know, but it mm-hmm. wasn't at the beginning where we were just working things out. So we got these recordings and um, it was the, it was 2019, that, that tour. And we just had it in the in the can, I had another album that was coming out, so I thought oh, I'm just going to put this away and I'll listen to it all at some point. And then the pandemic happened, and you know, somewhere around June of 2020, we thought, well, we're stuck at home, might as well mix this live album. Let's let's get it all out and listen to it. And we were, we had our engineer was in London, and we were, you know, we were here in the States and, and, um, we were just sending things back and forth and the farther away we got from live performance, you know, because everything was shut down, the more wonderful and kind of emotional this recording sounded to me because we weren't able, you know, just like I would be listening to a mix and the sound of the room and the sound of the people and the audience and their response, you know, cause I was playing live streams during lockdown and everything, mm-hmm. but the, you know, that it's, and the, you know, it was wonderful to be able to be in touch with people that way, but those little hearts on the screen. Yeah. Don't. It's not the same thing. Right. You're and done I, with the song. It's just silence and hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm listening to these, to these tracks that we recorded and I'm hearing the audience and hearing their response and feeling their energy. And I just was, it was, very emotional. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of where we were at, like mentally while we were uh, mixing the album, my my husband, Barry and I were mixing and um, in, in a way it, it's just the way things happened. It just seemed like, oh yeah, I think what we all need is a lot, you know, people have all kinds of opinions about live albums. They love them, they hate them, uh, Mm -hmm. whatever. But after two and a half years of no live music, um, at least for us, we, we, we've only done a handful of gigs since 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a perfect way for us to kind of come back. Yeah, that's amazing. You have a handful of dates coming up, though, right? Um, we've got a UK tour. Like UK yeah, tour. We've got a UK. Well, actually, we've got two UK tours, one this year and one uh, in May of 2023. And then... Um, some other dates sprinkled in. We've got we're going into the Netherlands and some other uh, some other little things sprinkled in here and there. 
Yeah. Are you doing the quartet? I mean, are you doing the strings or just more? Because some of the show, I'm just going off your website. Some of them just say like an intimate evening, basically with you and your husband, right? Yeah, we're doing the UK tour. We is is my 25th anniversary of playing over there. I, I, I went over there very early in my career and I found an audience and it grew and it grew and it grew. Ended up being probably 10 times bigger than the audience I play for in the States, weirdly enough. But hey. It happens for bands. I think it's so cool. Who cares? (laughs) I'm so grateful for them. They have really, you know, gotten me through. Um, And so it it happens that it's the 20th, 25th anniversary of my first tour there. So, um, so what we're doing is some of the dates are my husband and I'm, I'm kind of throwing it back to how it was when I first went over there 25 mm-hmm. years ago and we're going to do some old songs and talk tell stories about early tours all that sort of thing and then we're doing some some band dates as well that's so cool. it'll be it'll be kind of a mix of everything that's exciting i love the those very intimate shows with the discussions and you know how how this came together in in early stories i think that's such a cool concept and and, you know you can sort of turn on a dime you know i can play a song one night and and then play a different song another night and you know it's much easier to do that when you're uh when there's just the two of you and and barry and i've been playing together for 30 years so no matter what i throw at him he's got it (laughs) he catches yeah that's cool very cool well thank you so much Gretchen for doing this this has been a pleasure I appreciate your time today thank you for having me it's been really fun I my last question as we talked about earlier is if you have any advice for aspiring artists yeah I it's it's uh it's more than what I said before um I think because I've picked up a few things on the way I think I think there's a such a big demand on on artists uh, now to be to wear all these different hats and be constantly coming up with content, which is a word that I really hate. Um, but you know, I, we all know what it is, you know. But but it's you know they're they're told to engage, engage, engage all the time, and that for a person whose temperament is that of an artist that can be incredibly exhausting and it can really deplete the energy that you need to create and i know for myself i've always needed sort of that downtime to just let things germinate uh, in order to be able to write the next album or whatever um and so i would say you know take care of yourself be protective of your time and your attention and don't um you know of course you have to do what you have to do in terms of social media and all that stuff but don't don't let that be um, something that takes away from your your sort of source of creativity because that is the thing without that you have nothing um without you without that you're just a I guess you're just an, I don't know, an influencer. I don't know what you are, but uh, remember that you're an artist, you know, and remember that you need to protect that. I would say that's the most important thing, I think, right now. It's a, it's a hard time for for, uh, for singer-songwriters, especially those that are sort of in the independent world that are, you know, not, you know, they're, touring is hard right now. We haven't really completely come back. Um, 
it's it's tough so protect yourself